Hey, this is Coco, and you're listening to Conversations with Coco and Friends. We recorded this episode with Shan Boudram at her home, pitched on what felt like a cliff overlooking a beautiful canyon with views of L.A., which was, to us, exactly what quintessential L.A. living is. I felt like we were on an episode of 90210 or Melrose Place and quickly started imagining what my life would look like living in these L.A. streets. We were welcomed by Shan's husband, Jared, and were instantly disarmed by his kind and jovial character. Though Shan is from Toronto. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. We have a bunch of mutuals. We had never met in real life, but had admired her for as long as I've had a Twitter account. Shanna's real, frank, and super smart. The kind of woman you'd really want to be your best friend especially right after a breakup or when dealing with some kind of fuckboy situation. Ladies and gents, buckle up for one of the most insightful conversations I've ever had about relationships. There's a reason she's called an expert. Today we're seated with Shan Boudram. Woo! Ow, ow. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Our girl for all things sex and relationship and everything in between. So Shan is about to rock all of our worlds as she is the internet's most sought-after certified sex educator, dating coach, and relationship expert with over 40 million YouTube views. Damn, girl. Alongside her mainstream coverage across our main outlets, otherwise known as the New York Times, Forbes, and Time Magazine. You may actually recognize her from MTV's Guide to Sex or the author on your most recent pick, The Game of Desire. I could seriously go on, but let's start this conversation with this beauty in our presence. Zam. Okay, Shan. So give us a Lolo on 20th century dating. I have been trying today, putting in that good work using <laughs> Game of Desire's tactics. Um, but I mean, it's like hard out here for a pimp, as they say. And um, let's talk about like what you've learned about dating in the 20th century. 21st century? You know, it's the, the, the 20s right now, the roaring 20s. Oh, Ooh. Yes. I didn't really realize until recently why everybody was doing flapper parties for New Year's. I did, oh, didn't right. get wow. it. Oh, my Because it's the roaring 20s. Oh, my God. <laughs> there we wow. go. I think that dating is pretty wonderful. I, and I'll, let me paraphrase that. I think what's really happening right now or continues to happen is we continue to update the model of the car, the vehicle in which we make connections. It is faster than ever. It's got more options. It's hella souped up. It changes colors in different lights. However, so true. people's <laughs> driving skills haven't improved. We still haven't given people the basics necessarily on how to get where they're going or how to use strategy, how to use navigation. So we continue to increase the technology that helps people to connect, but we're not giving people supplemental emotional education, sexual education, or intimacy education to ensure they're actually doing this mindfully and safely. 
So you have a lot of people crashing and burning. But on the flip side, I think if you learn how to utilize all the tools and understand the system, you can go really far, really fast. Oh. oh, my God. Okay. I, you just opened a different part of my brain. It was like, <laughs> Literally. Yeah. So could you give us an example? So we're dating now on apps. Yes. Like people aren't going up and saying, can I buy you a drink? They're like, it's, it's all meeting people first before you actually meet the people. And that might not be you. You know, you have maybe an online personality. Yes. Like, but it's interesting because never before have you had... In, a part of the issue with dating before was even assessing if somebody, one, was open and available, interested right. in meeting other people. And now you have these platforms where literally the purpose is for people to raise their hand and say, I'm here to meet someone great. So you've got millions of people who have raised their hand and said, I'm here to meet someone great. And they've already cleared that intention. That's like 70% of the awkwardness of dating, I think, True. in previous mm-hmm. years. True. So yeah. that's really cool. I think people go wrong because you stop looking at that in that context. If you appreciated that everybody on a dating app is a person who is mindfully saying, I want to make connections. And if you start looking at it like, this is harassing, this is annoying, people are catfishing, Mm. what a shitty platform, what a shitty place. But like, it's actually really quite beautiful that we're at a time that people are prioritizing it. The average millennial spends, I think, like 10 hours a week on a dating app. That's 10 hours they're investing towards trying to find somebody to fuck, to fall in love with, et cetera. Right. But mm-hmm. still like setting that attention, setting time aside and actually investing time and energy and being willing to meet a complete stranger on the off chance that that person might be your person. All of that is, is really beautiful. But again, it depends on how you utilize the apps that transforms into whatever experience. I feel like by you just saying that, that gave me like instant enlightenment. Because I think managing our expectations is something that I struggle with. Like we were talking about it earlier about we have this expectation that you're going to be able to read my mind and know exactly what I want. Impress me like this, but I'm not going to give you the tools to show you how, you know? (laughs) So for me right now, I'm like, dating is disappointing because I have such high expectations. I need to settle the fuck down. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what do you expect? I feel like I, you have like your, your list of items and that's obviously shifted, but someone who's just like a with it, personality, someone who can keep up and actually hold a conversation. Like you said about having these vehicles to communicate, I feel like with social media, the downfall of it is that we hide behind our screens or we feel so much more powerful behind the phone versus like when you're one-to-one with someone face-to-face, I feel like the guys that I've met, like it's almost a bit of a nervous game or like they can't actually continue the conversation of something meaningful. So for me, I get a little bit discouraged and I'm like, I don't always want to have to be like this dominant personality. Like I want someone who can take care of me. I don't think you should lower your expectations. You're looking for somebody who can hold a conversation. So I think that that's, <laughs> that's <laughs> fine. That yeah. yeah, I'm like, now I have to drop that. <laughs> you're, like, you're not like, I want you to buy me a house on the yeah. first date. You're, exactly. like, you're like, can talk you to talk me. to me? Can you talk to me? Can you stick with it? But I think, yeah, I think that empathy part is massively important. Yeah. How awkward it is, how... I always say we focus a lot on sex education, which obviously I'm a massive proponent for. Mm -hmm. But what about basic emotional intelligence education? Exactly. Like why is anger management only for the people who run run someone over with their car? Literally. It should be for a kindergartner who for the first time experiences that when someone steals their crayon, doesn't understand that emotion. Like understanding these complex 
feelings that we'll all go through in life, knowing how to manage them. I love that you said manage expectations. It's my world favorite quote. Is the key (laughs) to happiness is managing expectations. But managing your own emotions is another really massive part of that. Mm -hmm. And people haven't learned. So I feel like if you have empathy for how little guidance we get on this, how little information in North America, how much discouragement we get for pursuing dating, especially in our younger years, Mm -hmm. because it's seen as an afterthought or not a focus right now because we live in an individualistic society. If you take all that into account and when you're in front of somebody who is awkward, who doesn't get it, doesn't seem to be prioritizing, is there, but not really technically there, you kind of can decode why that person is behaving that way. Exactly. I got to hop right on that because you like hit the nail on the head. So my experience with dating has been very challenging because I'm that person who didn't have a lot of experience growing up. It wasn't important. My parents were like, be awesome. Like, don't worry about this. And I like rode that till the wheels fell off. But then I came to a point in life where I was like, oh, I, this is something I want and I don't know how to do it and I'm not good at it. And it took literally Katrina and like Pilar and friends that I have who held a mirror up to me to be like, what the fuck are you doing? They're like, you're dumb, first of all. And like, I am I'm like a smart person and I, you know, have like a good personality. And they're like, sorry, where's real Cleo? Like, who is this person that you're doing this with? And I'm like, and it hurt my feelings, but I, I knew it was coming from someone I loved who was like, no, like we need to bridge that gap. And I was like, okay. And I'm, you know, that person is like, okay, well, what can I do? What information can I read? What can I dig up to like get there? And then what's happened in turn is like, there's, you know, Katrina had said to me, like, be more playful, like enjoy it more. And I was like, Mm. okay, let me try. And that's sort of what's happening. But then what's also happened too, is I've learned that I'm like, oh God, there's too many now. I'm like, ah, I too many conversations, too many texts. I literally told a guy yesterday, I was like, I'm going dark. He's like, what? I was like, I'm going dark for a few days. I'm going to be busy. But it's- Which is nice. At least you communicated that. Right. And now it's what it's done is forced me to unpack my own shit that came with being like a young woman and the things, the narratives around that and like wanting to own stories about myself that, you know, maybe were true at one point and taking the power back. So it's actually been very difficult because now I have to look at myself and be like, what am I not doing right? Which I don't like. This all sounds great. Oh, thanks. It's a, I mean, you have friends Reflection. who are holding you accountable. You admit, I think even saying that sentence, I'm not good at this, is something that majority of people never even think about. Yeah. They don't think about dating, connecting, love, sex as skills. They think of it as chemistry-based or you just have it or you don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like my book was majorly written by people, written for people who say to me constantly, I can't flirt. I can't talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. I can't. I'm like, at one point, you couldn't tie your shoes. Yeah. Right? Like, that was like a firm, hard no. Yeah. But you learned, you did it consistently, and it became second nature to you. But for whatever reason, we like put these skills in a separate box altogether. And yes. we think, if I have to read about this, that makes me more of a loser. If I have to admit I'm not good, that actually makes me the problem. And no, it's the exact opposite. And you got options. Like, your story sounded great. Story sounded awesome. Everybody wants more of me. I'm hot in these streets. It's rough out here. I need a bouncer. But even recognizing that's a challenge where I'm like, guys don't like me. And then I'm like, oh, they do. I'm just not noticing, which is my own fault. Yeah. (laughs) And it's supposed to be fun. Like it's the coolest thing in the world. Like somebody, some random person is setting aside 40 to an hour to meet with you that never met you before. They're willing to open up, share their life, buy you a drink, buy you something to eat. (laughs) And I loved online dating. 
It was like the best two years of my life. I had such a great time with it. I met amazing people. A lot of them I never actually ended up romantically pursuing, but because my screening process was good, I always had an enjoyable conversation. I ended up hiring one as a graphic designer. One actually painted art that I used in my apartments. I had another one who actually styled my engagement photos like years later. So I was meeting people who were my people and we were still making connections, even if it wasn't romantic. So I think if you just appreciate the fact that there's people out there who Mm -hmm. are interested in you, who want to talk to you, who want to build connections, and these are people who are just like you with hopes, dreams, fears, also fears of failures, then it's like a kind of a cool, neat experience. Girl. I love that. Right. It's like not carrying all of your like expectations and baggage yes. into everything you do. Yeah. Right? I've always been in long-term relationships. So anytime I dated, it was so fun to me. Yes. I'm like, oh my God, we might kiss. <laughs> like, I'm just like, you know, because you, when you haven't had all those fun times and you're not, you're so excited for it rather than, I think one of the things that can be troublesome is that you've been doing it for a long time and you're, we're all looking for, certain specific things, right? Mm-hmm. We're like, mm-hmm. I'm doing this because I want to get married or something. Yes. It's like when you go to the gym you and you're eating healthy, you expect it all to work within 30 days, mm-hmm. you know? And when you realize when you really want to be healthy, it's going to take your whole life, yes. right? So, so I just think it's all perspective and a mixture of perspective and, and um, expectation. But You know that quote that what would you do if you knew you would be successful? Like, how would you live your life if you knew that it would work out Mm -hmm. in the end? Like, this is one area where statistically it probably is. Like, 85% of people will couple up in a long-term partnership by their 40s or so. So you can rest assured that this likely will be an area you will find your person, it will be successful, and so move through the world in such a way that you know it will work out. You're manifesting. Yeah. It's yeah. coming to you, baby. You have so much insight. Like even just your, I can see both of these, these beautiful women, their eyes being like, yes, yes. And same snap, here. Snap. Um, you have so much insight. How did you get here? How did you become a sexologist? How did all of this start? You just read a lot. You learn a lot. Honestly, I think like 90% of my life is reading and writing right now. I'm back in school again. Um, I've been back to school like four different times. I read lots of books. If I run, I listen to audiobooks. The best thing about my job, though, is that people know what I do for a living are now starting to know. So I have great conversations at grocery stores. I'll be at the airport and someone will tell me something. I'm learning new words all the time. I learn from people all the time. So I am not like a guru. Um, I'm just like a beneficiary. I'm like a, a masterful student, I would say. So I think that just a lifelong experience of reading, being open to reading, being open to learn, being open to learn from other people has just made me a wealth of knowledge. And I, I again, like you said, it's a lifelong process. It literally never ends, like eating or being healthier, et cetera. You had said like your screening process is really was really good with your online dating. What did you use to screen people in your online dating? So I have this thing. So I read this book a while ago. It's called The Science of Happily Ever After. And it was saying that everybody gets three wishes. Like statistically, people have lists of 20 things. You can only get three when you're picking your long-term partner. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, cool. Like that's three for the average person, but I put the fucking work in. <laughs> I'm giving myself five. So Top I had a five. criteria of like five things that I wanted. And it wasn't like superficial things. Like yeah. must like hard candy. <laughs> you know, had to be securely attached. Had to be somebody who I felt could be supportive of my good news and happy for who I was. Had to be somebody who I felt was capable of speaking my love language. Had to be someone who I felt that I had sexual compatibility with. And so 
Obviously, you can't figure out all those five things in a chat with somebody, mm-hmm. but you can figure out two. You can kind of fish and ask questions to figure out, okay, is there a chance that you got at least two things I'm looking for? Yeah. If such a case, even if you're not the one, I won't waste my time meeting you. So mm. I would like try to figure out in the chat if they had two, then I would schedule a phone call with them. If Because like you said, people can Google their personalities. So mm. you would find that somebody is so different in the chat than they actually show up as yes. in person. So I was like, you know what? I want to just like chat on the phone. And I would always call from like a Google phone number. So it would never be my actual number. I love you. (laughs) And then conversation is weird. You unmatch and you move on. If the conversation is good and it's a vibe, I would set a date. But I always set a date at the exact same place. It was walking distance from my house. I went to cafeteria-based places. So because the first date on an online app is not a first date. It's a first meetup. Yeah, Like dating apps Mm, are meeting apps, really. So cafeteria style is good because you pay right away. That way, if you want to leave, you can. You're not like waiting for the bill. There's nothing awkward about it. So you guys mm-hmm. go, you finish your food. You can just say like, this has been really dope. Like I'm going to bounce, but you know, it was awesome to meet you. And oftentimes you'd end up staying because a person was a good vibe because you did the vetting process first. And yeah, just kind of through consistently doing that. I don't think I really had any bad first dates in LA. Um, How about Toronto? Oh my God, I was a mess in Toronto. I was a terrible human being back there. I was actually making a comment on that because I was on Lily Singh's show and I was like talking shit about Toronto men and yeah. how bad dating in Toronto is. And I checked myself See? and I was like, you haven't dated in Toronto in seven years. <laughs> you were such a different person when you were dating. You were probably just as problematic as the people that you were inviting. And on top of that too, Ooh. you were attracted to the drama. Yeah. So like to brushstroke an entire city because I was an idiot was just a terrible thing to do. But yeah, Toronto She's self-aware. Uh, it was now, it's always easy to be self-aware of your old self. Yeah. 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 Exactly. It's always easy. Like that person was an idiot. Like it's so easy to shit on your 17-year-old mm-hmm. self. Mm-hmm. Now I'm perfect. Of but, course. Naturally. Right. In seven years, I'll also be like, that person was a dummy. And then back to your reading and writing, is that what really inspired your first book? Like, were you just like, holy shit, I'm receiving so much feedback. I'm learning, I'm growing. People are really dumping all their stories on me and I want to help. And then you decided to write Laid? Yes. It's kind of almost like, you know when you start uh, looking into nutrition? Yeah. And you're like, how did I not know this stuff? (laughs) Oh my God, they're poisoning me. (laughs) So it's like that. When you start reading in an area that you're not encouraged to take jurisdiction in, you start to realize there's so much great information that could have saved you from so much heartache, so much problems, so much health scares, et cetera. And then you feel like other people should know this stuff. Mm -hmm. So it was that other people should know this stuff passion. And ultimately too, even though when I was reading and even right now I read and it's good information, but it tends to be boring as fuck. Mm -hmm. So my goal is to try to find a way to translate information that is useful, but a little dry into something that's actually appetizing for Mm -hmm. younger people. So I've read your books, and I think that's fantastic. Yes, I- with the plural, Cleo. Girl, listen. <laughs> Talk to my heart. Listen. I mean, I told you, I'm day one, day one. So for Game of Desire, when it came out, like I did the audiobook, and I was like, I actually have like some of the um, Google form tests. Yay! <laughs> like about my turn on triggers. Oh. Desire. Desire. Yours is, is a big desire? One. Oh, mine's desire too. Desire, <laughs> and I'm securely attached, and my commitment needs. I'm a modern monogamist. So, anyways. When Game of Desire came out, I think a lot of things that happened, there was like a shit storm and a great storm. What was that like for you? Because I know there's- You were part of the shit storm. (laughs) In a a good way. way. In a good way. In a good way. You were the problem. (laughs) What was that experience like for you? Because I can imagine like you didn't anticipate 
that this book was going to be so polarizing. You know, there's lots of stuff in there from dating on flashcards thing to the vabbing to things that have just people have taken hold of and blown up good or bad. Yeah, what's interesting about that is it kind of actually speaks to what I just said about looking for ways to make information interesting. Mm-hmm. And so that's always been my mantra from the very beginning of starting my career. So I knew what I was doing with the book. I knew that I had mm-hmm. to make things more salacious, more interesting. I understood that what a news hook is and what would actually create articles. But I just, I don't know, maybe naively, I just didn't expect has as much attention as it got. Because mm-hmm. maybe it's one thing to get feedback and conversations and reactions from your community yeah. and from a select, you know, even a little bit wider. But the, I guess the wideness that it went just brought about so many more varying opinions. Like the vabbing thing, for example, which was using your vaginal fluids as perfume, was really widely picked up by male-centric sites mm-hmm. and male-centric outlets. And that was just weeks of harassment. And you're like, oh, like I anticipated that this would be polarizing. I knew that this would be a conversation starter, something kind of fun and funny. Refinery29 said, what part of the book do you want us to run as an excerpt? And I was like, this fucking chapter. Yeah. I've never experienced that level mm-hmm. of mass opinion before. So you and I connected based mm-hmm. on the real, which was the, the cue cards thing. And I guess what had really just made that difficult for me is one, that's a platform that I really adored Mm -hmm. and wanted to go on for a long time. And I had just come back from New York where I was on the Tamarind Hall show. And I was there to talk about the ex's exercise in the book where I had people go back to an ex and interview them. And the host was so... um, like Not fascinated is the wrong word. She was so adamant on me. Like, well, what about you? What about your exes? What about this? And like a personal thing, I'm like, this. I didn't write this book because this was my yeah. cry for help or I didn't do this activity for myself. Like, mm-hmm. I'm an educator. This is not a personal story of a messy girl. And so- But you did do that in your book for the record. I did it for, yeah, in solidarity, <laughs> right? Yeah, but yeah. it was like a, a partner I had dated 10 years mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. Just the point that it was just so much focus on me as a human being versus the information yes. that I was spreading on me as a person and attacking me and my character versus assessing the work and having an opinion on that. And I'd seen another dating expert who was a male who actually just broke up with a really famous person. And I saw him on a TV show and they never brought that up. They're only talking to him about his advice, Mm -hmm. the quality of what he's saying. They're only looking to him as an expert. And yet as a woman, it's like your personal life is always the source of the topic. And so when the real thing happened, I think I was just emotionally exhausted of being personally attacked for trying to provide universal information. It's one thing, I guess, to attack the information, another thing to like go to the source and try to pick me apart. So my, I think, emotional response wasn't necessarily warranted for what was said, but it just was like, I'm just tired of people picking me apart. Now I'm okay. It's been a few months, but you beautifully, (laughs) because it was essentially just a, what had happened was, I was scrolling Twitter and I love the reel too. And I never have time to watch the whole thing. So I just watched the clip and I was genuinely upset. And I think in the same way that like I look to the reel, I like the conversations they have. I respect the women and their opinions. And I like that they facilitate conversation. And in no way did what was said facilitate a conversation. Especially I think just because, again, I've been following you for so long that I was like, whoa, you can't just distill down a decade worth of education and understanding into this thing like, oh, well, you're on a date showing someone flashcards. I'm like, whoa. And it bugged me. And so I just felt like it was important to say something, never thinking, obviously, that it was going to be a thing. And then it became a thing. And, you know, you went on the show and I was like, 
<laughs> this is so exciting. Yeah, because you didn't just, you said something in a really compassionate way. Um, I think it was like, it was a racial based comment. And when anything, especially in this climate yes. is racially based, you get such a wide array yeah. of feelings and not just opinions, but like really charged mm-hmm. feelings. And so there was so much charged feelings for a short amount of time, everything on the internet lasts two days. You yeah. know what I mean? But for those <laughs> exactly. two days, it's your two days. It feels yeah. like yeah. a lot. Years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but for two days, there's a lot of like emotional opinions about this from all mm-hmm. these perspectives. And I was getting negative negativity and positivity. And I'm sure on the flip side, the, the host was getting negativity mm-hmm. and positivity. And you came with this sort of middle ground that spoke to everybody's highest self. It was like, I know who you are. I know what you're about. I know that you definitely would actually value this person's work, you know? And I think that this was a disservice to the connection the two of you could have possibly had if under different circumstances. And I think that kind of leveling opinion when you speak to people's highest self versus like their mistakes, you get a great response as you did. So thank you for that. Most welcome. Woo. Woo. I like that. Go team. The, the actualization of women actually supporting women. I like it. I know. <laughs> Not just like the hashtag. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so this kind of, I think, might also have a lot of foundation in the fact that women still carry so much shame around sexuality and their bodies and you're doing great work to help move that along. Why? Like, I know, I guess I can, I can say why, but from your opinion, do you feel like things are moving or or do you feel like we're kind of still stuck in this rut of like, we don't talk about vaginas, like we, they smell like, you know, (laughs) know, all this thing, all this um, shame around. No, it's moving. Yeah. It's moving okay. quickly. I think when I first began, the question I got all the time was, I can't orgasm. What's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. And now, like, the clitoris is so far <laughs> beyond Most people are like, okay, know how to do that. How do I squirt? How do I mm-hmm. orgasm at the same time with my partner? How do I, you know, receive dual orgasm or multiples? Like, the, the, I think the conversations evolved around pleasure for women, one. And even two— the whole thing with the vabbing was fascinating to me. One, because I was surprised that people still have such negative opinions about what naturally comes out yeah. of the female body, mm-hmm. where you were all born, <laughs> yeah. where you all originated from. Yes. Yeah, exactly. just such like disgust. But then I also, I watched, you ever watch the TV show, Adam Ruins Everything? No. Mm-hmm. It's like this um, show, I, I don't know. It's just basically he explains and like debunks a lot of myths. But he was saying that the word halitosis was actually created by Listerine. Like the condition oh. of halitosis, what? and so <laughs> stop. So, so, so something to do with the vagina was created by like a douching company. Exactly <laughs> right. Like, yes. What? Why is that? That's not even shocking, but yeah. still uh, atrocious. Yeah, it's atrocious. But I think that like a lot of people's negativity towards our own natural body, like you kind of see where it comes from. Mm-hmm. But then also too, in this exact same year, Gwyneth Paltrow put out a candle mm-hmm. of her vagina yeah. scent. So did Erica Badu. Uh, Erica Badu is putting out an incense. Mm-hmm. Like so, I I think that the culture is definitely shifting. I think things are changing. You still have people with, it's so interesting when you meet somebody, it's almost like seeing a like Nokia flip phone. <laughs> when somebody's opinion's so outdated, you're yep. like, oh, like it's almost interesting. Like you're still playing snake. Like it's <laughs> so fucking so cool. Well, what was your all journeys with sex and your sexual enlightenment? Oh, that's a loaded one. Well, I guess I'll start with mine. I was like a late bloomer, the cool girl, but never the one anyone wanted to date. And what's happened is in the last few years, because like the curvy body is very fetishy right now. So now the attention is very different than what it was coming up. So I had settled into this, Coco hates this, but I just, I'm not saying it as myself, what I would call the fat friend role. And it's the role that you get looked over 
by boys and by men a lot, especially if you have like more attractive friends. And let's be real, in 2003, Cocaine Cowboy was cute. Then, you know, all that, the vibe that's not my vibe. So I really settled into that experience and rode with that for a long time, believing that to be true and really manifesting my own shit around that without even knowing it until, again, very recently. So my experience has been very much like, okay, well, I'm just going to own that and I'm going to be cool with it. And I don't want to be with anybody and I'm strong and I'm a badass. And then all of it come to coming tumbling down when I'm like, oh, but I do kind of want to be with someone. Yeah. And I would like for someone to want to take care of me. And, you know, and part of it too, it comes with always having to take care of your own self, you know, and that is very real. And now learning to allow the space for someone to do that has required a great deal of self-awareness. So that's my shit. That's beautiful though. Oh, thanks. <laughs> have There was, I was actually just reading this in a book that says that people who view themselves as less sexually attractive in society, masturbate less, enjoy sex less, like don't lavish their body with pleasure mm-hmm. and feeling that they're not deserving of it. Mm-hmm. Did you ever experience that? No. So I, okay. So I feel like I went through like a period of time where I was not having sex because I was tired of having mediocre sex. I don't feel like I'm less sexual. Like I've always been like very comfortable with my body. So no, but it's manifested itself in other ways, meaning like I haven't dated a lot and mm-hmm. you know, other stuff. Mm-hmm. I think for me, it was, it's always been, um, I'm such a pleaser. And so I also find a lot of, um, I get turned on also by being a pleaser, but then I'll be a pleaser and f- totally forget about me. Mm-hmm. And then almost like psychologically start to think. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Never mind about me. And then I, that sucks after a couple years. Does the partner never chime in and say? Different partner. So now having a partner that I totally align with, we can have open conversations and that changes everything. Rather than Does it a be- pleaser mean like you're great at blowjobs? Like- yeah, I'm so good. At- <laughs> I want to be the best. So like I'm going to compete. Yeah. I'm going to be like. Exactly. I'm going to watch all the tutorials <laughs> and we're going to be great. Um, but then when it comes to me, it's like I, I would never be like, I want to be first. I, I want you to have your pleasure first. I want all of that. And then only starting now with all of these conversations and it being more open about sex, I'm starting to realize oh yeah, it's okay to ask for what you want and finding the language around that, yeah. right? And feeling confident and being able to say, this is how I like it, I don't like it like that. Yeah. Where it's like, sometimes I'll be like, I don't like it like that, but I'll just keep it to myself and ow, yeah. you know? <laughs> what are you doing? 
job. You're doing great, sweetie. (laughs) (laughs) Pat on the shoulder. (laughs) I connect with that as well. I feel like I also didn't, like I'm only 23, but I literally didn't have sex until I was like 19, whereas everyone was already starting. Mm -hmm. And I felt like it was more of that thing because my family's like Catholic, very religious. I have two brothers. So my mom's always like, protect my sacred daughter, you know? Mm. So then there was like an element of fear for me. So I feel like as the years have gone on, as I've had more partners, different partners, you know what I mean? It makes me more comfortable telling someone what I want or like what actually pleases Mm. me. Whereas we know we're good at what we do. (laughs) Then I also, I would love to get your opinion on, uh, have you listened ever to Call Her Daddy? No. That podcast? No. It's essentially like- I've heard great things. It's these two- girls who are so shameless and I love them. And they just talk about experiences with sex. So open. They share stories from their own lives, from friends, from people who like write in. But it's funny because a few girlfriends and I were having a conversation and we're like, they're creating like a bad name for us females because they talk about as if they're literally porn stars, the freaky shit they do in bed. And we're like, oh, we need to take notes because now guys are starting to listen to it. (laughs) So they are also having that expectation of you being a freak in the sheet sometimes, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's like horrible decisions, which I'm familiar with. Are you familiar with that podcast? No. It's maybe similar premises to women, but two women of color who speak about sex very openly and like they're my friends and they literally live that life. Like they, they go in. Yeah, you'll see them on a Tuesday and they're like, oh man, like I just was like, I had a threesome last night and so <laughs> exhausted. And Get it. Like, You're like, me too. Monday. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Girl. <laughs> but I love that. I'm like, I think as females, we are becoming more open and talking about our sexual experiences because it's always been like a dick swinging contest mm-hmm. for men. They're always like, oh, I fucked this girl last night. Whereas we would almost be five years ago more nervous to be like, oh, like I slept with him on the first date. Now it's like, do what you want. Yeah, and it, as I said, like I think there's a lot of hope. I think it's definitely been changing rapidly. And if you started to look back where things were 10 years ago and how much more, there's still so much more to go. But mm-hmm. I think that we are living in a wonderful time for female sexual pleasure and for the female sexual revolution. And I'm really proud to be a part of the community who's like charging that forward. What would be some references that you could give other than your books um, to people? Nothing else other than my books. <laughs> Only <laughs> your books. <laughs> um, websites or any anything that could give access podcasting that people could listen to. Because I, what I find within my generation is that it, it is this fear around the vagina. And even when I tell people that I use a diva cup, they're like, oh my God, Ew. I don't like to touch my vagina. I'm like, wait, what? It's, it's yours. How can someone else touch it? It's like actually yours. Yeah. You know? So do you have any things that you could give to people? Yeah. It's yeah. just one, it's exposure, right? Like, right. so I think that if something feels uncomfortable for you right now, it's just exposing yourself to more of it. When you first heard about sushi, you probably were like, that's disgusting. And then over <laughs> I time. I love your analogy. Yeah. <laughs> you've come to be like, this is incredible. You begin an appreciator. But I think also having empathy for people who are at that place of raw fish, it's fucking gross. Right. I get how you might think that in theory, but it's it just exposure in time. So basic like starter kit books, I would say, are Come As You Are. That's a best-selling book for, I think, a decade. It's about female sexual orgasm and pleasure um, and the body, et cetera. So for cis women, this is a really great book to understand your parts, why you may or may not orgasm certain ways, how to communicate in the bedroom, what does and doesn't work for you, et cetera. Uh, Another great one is 
Did I say come as you are? She mm-hmm. comes yeah. first. Okay. She comes first is another one that's written by a man, Dr. Ian Kerner. Just really prioritizing anatomy for men. It's a great book to hand to your partner as yeah. well, too. I love for understanding of like relationships. Elaine DeBotten has this book called The Course of Love. And it's written like a fiction novel too. So it's the story of two people who got together and just basically how love happens in the brain over a long period of time. And his main thing is that love is not an enthusiasm. It's a skill, something that you have to learn how to do and constantly work at. So those are books that I think are pretty good starter kit, transformative books. And then mine. Always mine. (laughs) So in the past, you've addressed the idea of having an open relationship. Yes. But also have addressed more recently the idea that just because you said that and now you're married doesn't mean, it doesn't mean always the same thing. Mm -hmm. And relationships mean different things to different people. How has your process been around marriage? And of course you love it. We just met Jared. He's amazing. (laughs) You guys are perfect. But have you always wanted to get married? Our relationship journey, I think what made this relationship so incredible is that we consistently just assessed who we were at the time. And we always chose a title after we figured out what felt good for us. We started out as friends with benefits. I had just come out of a relationship. I knew I was not in any emotional state to look for a partner at the time that Jared and I had gotten together. I actually knew him a year prior Mm. to actually meeting up with him. And I remember we were so great at being fuck buddies. Honestly, like we could, it was, I, it was amazing. And I genuinely did not have any romantic feelings for him. I was like, I love my fuck buddy. It's an awesome relationship. And slowly but surely, we just started to increase the intimacy bit by bit. And that is actually the formula to building a good relationship. Healthy intimacy is taking one small step at a time, stopping and being like, how do you feel here? Are you comfortable? Do you want to go backwards? Should we chill here for a while? Should we move forward? All right, cool. And there's no expectation. We're not going anywhere in particular. We're just trying to move in unison to see what feels good and comfortable. At any time, if you feel like I'm not gaining anything from this, then opt out. So I think that that was almost our our system without consciously doing that. And before we knew it, we were living together still as fuck buddies. And it was like, all right, clearly this is more. There's an emotional attachment. We had begin to talk about the word love between us and what label can we use to define what we have in a way that celebrates what we like best about our, our connection. And what he and I really loved about it was the lack of ownership, the lack of you know, checking where that person is going or having an a, a opinion constantly about who you're hanging out with, how long you're with that person. And so We didn't want to, we wanted to tell people that we were together and growing in intimacy without signifying that we were now no longer interested in meeting others. So open just felt really good for us. And as we continue to grow in our relationship and our connection, I can't say that we like don't identify with the term open anymore. Um, just because it's always your choice. Mm-hmm. If he like, he's going on tour for a month and literally if he met somebody that he wanted to make a connection with, I don't think I have a problem with that. But I think the reason it became debatable for people is that we were and have not engaged with others in a long time. So it's like technically the choice is there, but the uh, engagement is just not there at this time. But yeah. I view it as a long life. So I subscribe to the title free relationship, meaning that it's going to, the title and the structure might adjust as time goes on. At this present time, what we share probably resembles monogamy or monogamish as like there's still, if you went through my DMs, there's probably still some messages there that are marriage inappropriate. But um, I think that he and I just really enjoy a level of autonomy in our relationships and trust 
and because of what I do for a living and how much I love love and I love flirting, like even little stuff like that. I did a talk for Playboy and Jared was there and I tied somebody else up on stage and we were doing like this like simulation together. And afterwards, Jared was like, that was awesome. You know, like that was so much fun. Like I love it. It was so hot to see you in your element. So like those are just, I guess, little things that, I think make our relationship work as is, but open relationships, I think, mean something different to people. So I get yeah. where right. the confusion has come in. Isn't it funny that so much goodness comes out of just actually having a conversation? I know. <laughs> Who yeah. knew? Oh, we check in. We talk to each other. Yeah. I'm like, wow. Right. <laughs> Mind blown. I hope that everybody like really understands. You know when you meet somebody who hates their job? Yes. yes. And you're like, you don't, you don't have to work there. Like, <laughs> exactly. We literally were saying that. We're like, stop forcing yourself yeah. to be in this. Like, it's one life. Mm-hmm. It's you know? one life. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is that like, sure, I could probably, you know, if I landed an incredible accounting job and it gave me seven figures and an amazing view and a great vacation pay, which wouldn't change the fact that it's not naturally best situated with who I am. And so I think that, you know, the thing about communication is that you can communicate and find out that you have very different values, very different needs, very different ideals of what loving somebody is. And like that's okay too. Mm-hmm. Communication isn't the key to fixing a relationship. It's the key to figuring out if there actually is one to fix, yes. if there is a base Woo! there. Mm-hmm. So I, I am grateful to have met somebody whom, when we do talk honestly, a lot of our value system align. I've definitely had communication with people where it, you realize oh, this would never work out. You <laughs> it's know? a firm no. Yeah. It's a firm no. Yeah. I actually, yeah. Okay. I had a conversation with a dude that I was dating just before Jared and I, and he was like, I just knew because of the what you do for a living and like how flirty you are, just there was never going to be a long-term commitment between both of us. And I was like, that's interesting. Yeah. Mine is because you're dumb, but <laughs> I'm playing. He's not. He's nice. But He's I nice. think, but also yeah. <laughs> He's nice, though. <laughs> the, there's always going to be the benefit of speaking your truth, but sometimes it yeah. means the loss of mm-hmm. other connections, but that's okay. Because again, going back to that, if you could maneuver in a way that you knew you'd be successful, what would you do? You mm-hmm. wouldn't hold on to relationships because you felt like this is all you had going for you. Right. You'd know that ultimately you'd find your person, so you'd have no problem moving on. Like communication mm-hmm. means that you might realize, no, you're exactly, you're not for me. Or you might be better over here. Or acknowledging, like I think a lot of people have a hard time having the conversation because they know what the answer might be. And that's Mm -hmm. scary to them. Because that would mean divorce or that would mean not being together anymore. Mm -hmm. And what is the answer after that? It's the fear of the unknown when you admit the truths that are right in front of your face. Mm -hmm. If you don't mind me asking, what was yours for your marriage? Like what was that truth that you came to? And did you always know or you guys came to it later on? Well, I don't think we came to it. I came to it. Um, (laughs) And lots of things. And we're great friends now, but um, lots of, there's lots of little things. And also being a pleaser is realizing, starting to realize what made me happy might not necessarily be what made the other person happy um, in so many different ways. So making yourself great for someone else doesn't always mean you're making yourself great for yourself. Oh man, that's so true. Yeah. And then so, when you do start to finally put yeah. yourself first, the other person is like, who are you? Who is exactly. this? Like, this has actually been me the whole time. Right. And that's why I'm, I'm and this is not for everybody, but I, I basically got together with my ex-husband when I was 20 years old. So I, I always, I'm a big proponent of taking time to find out who you are because I feel like a lot of women can mold themselves to a man with a strong personality. Um, and some people love that, but 
I think if you want to find out who you are, you have to, that takes time mm-hmm. and development and life experience. So take your time. And that's the thing is like, we're in a pretty hopeful generation. Like mm-hmm. millennials are changing the statistics around divorce. They are changing the narrative around second marriages not being successful. I think it's because people are waiting longer. Yeah. Yeah. People are dating mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. There's less pressure that's being placed on you. And so as a result, I do believe that we're going to have a healthier generation of love. I think every generation tries to fix their parents' mistake. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think that our what our parents did is they tried to fix their parents' mistake of love is an arrangement. Yeah, and then our parents like we're marrying for passion and passion only, and that shit didn't work out. No, and so now I think we're like, okay, cool. Passion and love is important, but also is there a viable partnership here? Like lending from our grandparents where it was all left brain, all strategic, all does this actually make sense to make a a union here? Mm -hmm. And then our parents who were all Romeo and Juliet, like it's passion or nothing. I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. And that's why I really do feel hopeful for every young person right now who's entering into this space. I feel like that's a positive note to end on, (laughs) giving us hope out here, Shan. (laughs) Honestly, Shan, thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Conversations with Coco and Friends. We started this with a bang. Yeah. I feel like we could talk forever. Tell me more. We're coming back to LA just (laughs) for you. And like, when we're back, we're going to re-up and do this again. We're going to check in on where everybody's at in all of these things. And you can follow Shan at Shan Booty, B-O-O-D-Y, to keep up with all things spicy. And real life. (laughs) And honest. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening. If you love this episode, you can follow us online at C-O-C-O-A-N-D-C-O-W-E. Subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It seriously helps and we would be so grateful. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.